Blog Talk Radio. Hey there, Dr. Ross Green here, coming to you live, as always, from the offices of Lives in the Balance here in Portland, Maine. Time for another edition of Helping Behaviorally Challenging Students. I will be joined shortly by at least three, I am told, of our principals. But of course, um, you know, schools are busy places, so uh, it's not always easy to call in. Um, But I know that one won't be because of an urgent issue in her school. Uh, Here's one of them. And because of the area code, I think that this is Carol. Carol, how are you? I am doing very well. How are you, Mr. Green? I am doing very well. Excellent. Very good to have you on the program again. Thank you. We are waiting here. for Tom and Nina to call in. I'm told they will. Your friend Susan is unlikely to call in today because of a situation with a student at her school. But yes. um, how are you guys doing here in the beginning of 2017? There were many Americans well. <laughs> who couldn't wait for 2016 to end. Um, so 2017 <laughs> is a bit of a landmark for them. How are things going there in British Columbia and especially in your building? Well, I, I don't know that I'm, I'm going to put the emphasis on any calendar year or calendar page to explain how things are going. Um, I think I'd say we are keeping on, keeping on, as one of my uh, former principals used to always like to say, and uh, just continuing to do all of the implementation of all of the new curriculum and competencies and our and the changes with assessment and communicating student learning to parents and we're on a big learning journey, all of us, in so many domains. So just trying to keep up with all that. That's a lot to keep up with. By the way, we have now been joined by Nina. Nina, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I am doing well. Happy New Year to both of you, by the way. We're just getting you an too. update on where you things too. are at in Carol's school. Nina, any updates on your school before We turn our attention to something um, one of our emailers was hoping we could return to this week in terms of um, the topic of our last program, which uh, the headline was asking a good teacher to do too much. Um, Mm. But any updates on Central School in South Berwick, Maine? Oh, no, I don't think any updates. No, just happy to be back from the new year and just keep doing what we're doing. And the year is flying by, so <laughs> trying to stay ahead. You must be having fun. Yes, absolutely. Good. Well, shall we turn our attention? And by the way, the call-in number is, for people who might want to call in, 646 646- Seven two seven two six nine one. My understanding is that you have to press the number one to get this to work. Um, but let's turn our attention to email. We always give callers top priority, although we seldom get callers on this program. We often get lots of callers on the parents' program. Um, but here we go. This one says, I've been listening to your podcast, and I'm currently being trained in collaborative and proactive solutions. As I was listening, I was wondering if we as parents or teachers are teaching students lagging skills through plan B and collaboratively solving any problems that a child or student may have. 
if this is going to help them in the workplace when a boss is taking a plan A approach. Has your experience been that once a student or child learns and gains the lagging skills that they need, they are able to handle a plan A situation? Well, um, I always defer to you both and then speak afterwards. What do you both think? Um, one of the things I frequently hear, the way the question is often asked about plan B, is what if he has a plan A boss someday? And what I like to remind people be, um, before we have you both chime in here is that having an expectation is not plan A. And bosses have expectations. It's when someone isn't meeting an expectation that plan A is one of the three options that could be applied. Plan A is where the boss is deciding what the solution is and imposing it. Plan B is working with the employee who's having difficulty meeting the expectation so as to understand what's making it hard for the employee to meet the expectation and come up with a solution that will solve that problem. And plan C is where the boss would be deciding, you know what, that's not even an expectation that we're going to have right now. Um, we've got too many fish to fry. Um, I'm going to set that one aside for now. So I just want to make sure everybody's clear, just because you have an expectation doesn't mean you're doing plan A. Plan A is when someone is imposing a solution unilaterally on an expectation that someone is having difficulty meeting. So now that I have made sure that we're clear about that, how, what do you all think about the what if the kid has a plan A boss someday question? Well, what I was thinking, Ross, is that uh, if a child is going through a plan B education, um, then even if they encounter a plan A boss who imposes a solution, that that uh, child would be able to determine if that solution is going to work for them, and hopefully they would re be able to have the skills that if it's not, that then they can uh, advocate for themselves and analyze what might work better and have that conversation, have the confidence to, uh, to approach the, uh, the manager or supervisor and propose an alternative. I love it. And by the way, one of the skills that is trained in the empathy step is um, the ability to figure out what your concerns are and put them into words and express them in a way that makes it more likely that you will actually be heard. Nina, what are your thoughts? And then we have a caller, by the way. But let's finish this one before we move on to our caller. Sure. I was um, you know, thinking very similarly and that the, the using plan B and being able to solve problems collaboratively as a child will um, will result in not ha being able to meet the expectations that a boss will give you. So you know, ideally you won't be running into as many situations that you might not be meeting the expectations that a boss would have. You'd be, um, your, your skills, you'd be growing and you'll be able to, those lagging skills won't be lagging at that time. But I also was, you know, also thinking about in when you're an adult and you do run into situations where you might not be able to meet the expectations, you know, as an adult, none of us want a plan A um, 
thrown at us because there is a reason. You know, I'm thinking if, if I'm having trouble getting to work on time for a week, it might be because um, my child's having trouble getting to school. So there's, you know, we, we never want to encounter um, that. So it's just a reminder of how even in in the world when you're an adult that your hope is that your boss would sit down and say what's going on how can i help and that for the most part that's the places you want to work and that's the places that you know you thrive as an adult as well i got one more to throw into the hopper if you are good at solving problems collaboratively then one of the things you may conclude in your problem-solving skills is that your plan A boss is not someone you want to work for anymore. Exactly. Yep. If you feel strongly that your voice should be heard, not, not that your boss doesn't have the right to tell you what the expectations are for your job. That's, that's what bosses do. That's what a job description is. Here are our expectations. But if you're having difficulty meeting one of those expectations and your boss says, I have decided, that's how you know it's plan A, (laughs) I've decided that um, because you are having difficulty getting your reports in on time, I've decided that you need to enroll in a report writing course. That's plan A. It's a unilateral solution. If you're skilled at plan B, you might pipe up and say, I really appreciate that you've gone to the effort to figure out how to help me with this problem. Um, If I may say, the reason I'm having difficulty getting my reports in right now is because I'm going through a very difficult time with my spouse and it's been a major distraction and I'm thinking that... um, well, that's what I need to work on a little bit, and that's something that me taking a report writing course probably isn't going to address. I didn't really have any trouble getting my reports on in on time before I was having difficulty with my spouse. So um, I'm just wondering about that solution. Now, if you have a boss that then says, well, I'm really sorry about you and your spouse, but I really do think that you need to take the report writing course, then the writing is on the wall. Your boss is letting you know, I'm not hearing what you have to say, and I'm going to oppose a solution that makes no sense whatsoever. And then it might be time to look for another job. Um, Or it might be time to say, well, I really need this job, and I'm going to be willing to put up with this because it's just I'm going to have to take my lumps on this one because I'm not looking for another job right now given the distractions with my spouse. I can't do both of those at once. So you know what? I'm going to stick with this job. I'm going to take the report writing course, and I'm just going to have to redouble my efforts to get those reports in on time. All of that is thinking that is presumably trained in the context of plan B, not plan A. Plan A doesn't teach people how to think that way. Mm -hmm. We have two callers. Shall we take one? Sure. Here we go. Area code 631, you are on the air. Tell us what's on your mind today. Area code 631. Or are you just listening to the program? I'm going to abandon area code 631 and go to area code 717. 
Area code 717, is there something you wanted to talk about today? I am here on the air. This is Lara Gingrich from Pennsylvania. I was at your um, program this summer in Cape Cod. Great. And I wrote in last week. Yes, it was so much great, great experience. But I had sent the question last week about the teachers that are asked to do too much, not looking so good question. And I That was, was our curious. next topic, but now Yay. you're here, so let's talk yeah. about it. <laughs> okay, okay, very good. Um, now, so, question, anything in particular that you were hoping we'd go back to on that? Well, I guess the major question that I'm thinking right now is that we have students that are showing some behavior concerns, major behavior concerns, but it's an emotional support classroom for students that also have some you know, emotional needs. And it seems like some of the needs are just so varied, and when put together, it's just so much to even deal with. So I don't know. It's almost like if we could have just some professional advice of what needs to happen to even have a fighting chance to be successful or if it's not even possible to happen. Well, I hate to um, think that things are not possible. <laughs> I know, I know. And I know mindset. Plan B, it should be, but it's just, it just feels like we're spinning our wheels. and There's, there, there can be the needs can seem overwhelming. And I, and I remember being mm-hmm. at one of, uh, one of the workshops, I think it was the advanced training, and going really in-depth in the ALSUP and, and kind of getting a sense that with some kids with really complex needs, you may need three or four sheets of paper to really tease out all of the unsolved problems, and it may seem crazily daunting. And I know that we've talked about this, and Tom's mantra is if you solve one or you solve none. So, you know, it can feel completely like you're not making a lot of progress. But I always go back to thinking about the relationship that you had with that child before you you, you tried Plan B, Mm-hmm. Um, if you had any relationship at all. Like I'm a principal right. and a lot of times I don't have any relationship with these students until, you know, in the past before my eyes were opened and my mind and my heart were open to CPS. Um, you know, kids would just walk in and, and the teacher would say, this is what's happened, impose the disciplinary consequences, and I did. And, and there was no relationship with the student or the teacher or the parent. And so even though you may feel like the problems aren't getting solved you know, as quickly as you'd hope or as you would love to see or as would help you feel like things are moving forward, just having the relationship is just, it is progress in in and of itself. And my last little mantra that I go back to myself is that, you know, kids didn't get this way in a day and we're not going to unravel all their unsolved problems in a day. Now, you know, we think about one kid at a time, but then you've probably got four or five or eight or ten in your class that you feel like could all use exactly. the support, right? Yeah. Right. So that's that's one perspective on it about the about the feeling overwhelmed. Right. Right. Absolutely. And you know, we're trying to support the classroom in as many ways that we can. But yeah, when you have students that are running out or throwing chairs over and just in a crisis mode, um the one really positive thing is that we have uh, I think it was a couple months ago, with the idea of not starting with your most challenging students. So we have done some ALSUPs and Plan B meetings with students that aren't as you know severe. 
so to speak. And you can see the success there. And it's like, I feel positive about that because, you know, if we let that go, it's going to, over time, that's going to become, you know, those individual students could have greater needs. So that feels good, but it's like... Students are like popcorn with each other, right? (laughs) Yeah. You can kind of, you know, get some of the less, like you said, the less severe behaviors kind of calm down. Then the overall classroom environment may seem somewhat more calm, which will help others maintain some self-regulation in theory. Right. And I think that I think, you know, one of my main questions is, are there students that truly are not ready for plan B? And like, is it just keep chipping away at portions of it? Or what else can happen? Or do we just need, you know, more staffing that can be with students that are having, you know, severe meltdowns and stopping the rest of the group or the teacher from being able to do any type of instruction whatsoever? Um, You know, how do you try to get out of the hole little bit, you know, at a time, or does it need to be a complete restructure of the program and what the district is offering the students? Like, I'm thinking, does it need to be two different classes? And I don't know. I'm not sure. I think it can break either way. Um, I think that, um, first of all, in addition to what Carol said uh, in terms of the relationship with the kid, there is enormous value added in coming up with that list of unsolved problems and coming up with a list of lagging skills because it makes it often quite clear that mm-hmm. we have expectations for this kid and boatloads of them that this kid cannot possibly meet. And it makes it crystal clear to us that we have to do this a little bit at a time. As Carol said, the kid didn't mm-hmm. come by these unsolved problems and lagging skills overnight, and we're not going to fix it overnight. Right. But what I think you're talking about a little bit is stabilization. Um, Yes. But what I find is that that list of lagging skills and unsolved problems does more for me than most, and this is not a disparaging comment about most psychological evaluations, but boy, it sure does make it clear what the most crucial information is. Look at all this kid's lagging skills. Look at all of the expectations this kid is having difficulty meeting. What are we going to do to create an environment for this kid in which meeting these expectations is even conceivable? Okay. And what do we need to do to get the kid to that spot? So, but what I'm hearing you talking about, as I said, is sort of stabilization. And there are times when, well, this is very common, when stabilization at the very least means withdrawing a substantial percentage of the expectations that are causing the kid to lose his mind in the first place and causing things mm-hmm. to get unsafe. He's not meeting them anyways. That's, that's how we have so many on our ALSEP, right? Mm-hmm. There's absolutely no point in continuing to place expectations on a kid that there's some decent chance he's going to lose his mind over and things are going to get dangerous over. So there's another advantage to coming up with the list is it helps us stabilized, and that's called Plan C. Now, there are some kids, right, there are some kids who also need medicine for stabilization, and that's something that schools are sometimes um, in a tough position on. Um, Nina, I know you and I, um, with one of the first kids you were doing CPS on, um, not only did he need meds, but our theme became 
let's not do anything that makes it look like this kid doesn't belong in your school. Exactly. Mm. And my recollection is that that meant withdrawing many, many, many expectations. That's stabilizing. Having Mm -hmm. this kid be on meds that were also stabilizing and my recollection is that this, by the time this kid was done in your school, you couldn't tell him as being any different from any other kid. But what had yep. to happen first was stabilization and not doing things that made the kid look like he didn't belong in your building. Okay, I'm done. Absolutely. Nina, maybe you want to reflect on that a little bit. Yes, I was thinking both those things that, you know, for, for the, there are definite times that you need to lower so many expectations and um, for everyone's sake, for the, for the child's sake, for the peer's sake, for the adult's sake. And, you know, I kind of think of it as stripping it down and then slowly adding back the expectations. And I think people fear that that's going to cause a child just to just do whatever they want all the time. And um, it's really not what happens because kids don't want to come to school and be different and, and, uh, do whatever they want. They want to be learning and to be growing. So stripping those expectations and um, slowly problem solving and at the same time adding back expectations really does work. And it it takes time for kids. But I think it's a fear that adults have of doing that and um, that they're just going to lose them, lose control or lose the child's never going to be able to, to be in a classroom or have expectations. But you know, I just think it's a gift that you can give kids sometimes. It's just, you know, I remember Ross telling me with that student that, like, think of him as having the flu. He he can't do it. Like, you just need to think of him as having the flu, and how are you going to treat somebody that way? And it was right. just took that, like, everyone just was able to, like, take a deep breath and um, treat treat the child in a in a different way and they were able to be successful in the end for sure and then the other thing I keep thinking about is and I just did this just a few weeks ago sometimes the adults have to get together and problem solve to see what the structures are and what you can do differently because you can really get stuck in a place of if they you know of of, um, trying wishing for things that you can't control but if you really get together as a staff and say, well, what can we do? Um, and sometimes, you know, just we had a situation where I had two children that um, have similar um, challenging behavior, and then when they were in the same room, it just was, you know, it was impossible. And we decided, the adults decided that, you know, we made a plan where one child could be in one room and the other child could be in another room and then they could take turns. And now we're trying to, you, you're trying to problem solve with them so that they can be in the same room. But for a while we took it off the table and we, we decided, and that made, and that may, um, you know, part of the problem solving was that I gave up my office for a while and just made it a, a play area for, for a child. And, you know, cause I was w- willing to do that. Other times other people are willing to do other things. So I just think sometimes you have to problem solve as, as adults too, to kind of look at that structure and say, like, what can we do differently um, with the resources we have? Right. Okay. And we are, like, in that, like, the things you're talking about, exactly what's happening right now. Like, we have a student today that was refusing to do work, and today he just wasn't, he was just sitting not doing work. But then I guess it would be the gradual, you know, increase and maybe looking at it differently while he worked up into such a you know, a certain amount of time today before he, you know, started refusing. So maybe looking yep. at what he did do and then tomorrow, okay, let's see if we can work even, you know, a little bit more and take it into chunks rather than thinking like it's an all, all or nothing, you know. Absolutely. And well, sometimes the goal is just to be in, you know, be in the room and 
talking. You're just building that relationship, and that's okay. That's that's progress. Right. But chunking mm-hmm. it, by the way, us adults thinking about how we can best chunk it for the kid um, is not collaborative. It's not involving mm-hmm. the kid in the solution, and it's not talking with the kid about what's going down when he's refusing to do his work. One thing I will say, the fact that he was refusing to do his work, that's a behavior, and by the way, a, a relatively mild one um, mm-hmm. in, in, in the course of things. Um, if he's just sitting there not doing anything, I like that a lot better than running out of the school. I like that a lot better than tipping over his desk. So there's, you know, there's more extreme possibilities for how he could have been communicating what I'm about to say, but what he's communicating by doing no work is that apparently – there is something about the task in front of him that exceeded the skills he had to respond adaptively to that task. Right. That's all that behavior tells us. And it just tells us there's another problem to solve. But what I would discourage is having the adults now get together and say, all right, now what what can we do to, how can we make this easier for him? Well, maybe we got the time. Talk to him. That's your first Mm -hmm. step. Your first step is to figure out what's going on with the kid. Otherwise, we run the risk of what I would call shotgun solutions that we hope we hit something good, but we really still have no idea what's really getting in the kid's way. We save more time than we can imagine by getting Mm -hmm. the information from the kid instead of using our imaginations to try to figure out not only what's getting in the kid's way, but also, therefore, what he needs. Right. And we did, um, I wasn't at the meeting, but there was a parent meeting this morning, and the principal was doing a really, you know, from what he reported, a great job of of asking the student and trying to do, you know, the beginning of Plan B meeting and, you know, not that oddly, you know, to be expected, he was refusing to even talk. And I remember what you're saying about not causing something, not doing something that would then make it difficult for tomorrow, what we're doing today, you know. So it's like just it has to be such small pieces and morsels of steps forward that not looking at it as, well, he didn't say anything and he's refusing rather than pushing it, trying again tomorrow and the next day and right. the next day. Mm-hmm. He's got the mentality. Now, here, okay. here's the other thing I would say, and I know I'm talking too much here, but the one question that I always have is that task that he was not working on, is that task on our list of unsolved problems yet? If it's not, mm. then we were surprised. If it is... Okay then we've already triaged it, and it's either B or it's C. If it's C, mm-hmm. my question is, then, then why was he asked to do the task in the first place? Because it's been removed. Right. If it was B, I'm asking, well, uh, why haven't we done plan B with him on that one yet? Have we been busy with the other ones that we've been doing plan B on? Another mm-hmm. question that I might have is, well, it was C, but given the impact that it had today, we're thinking we ought to bump one of the other ones that we had in B that we thought were our high priorities and put this one in there instead. And, of course, the possibility that it wasn't even on our list yet. The good news is it's on our list now. One of the things I'm always saying about this model, about unsolved problems, is that once it happens once, it's not a surprise anymore. But this is all part of the organizational piece of the model, that work refusal is meaningful. It's either on our list or it's not. If it's not, it needs to be. If it is, Mm -hmm. we're either doing B or C. What are we doing? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's true. 
All right. I feel encouraged <laughs> not to totally <laughs> abandon the severe cases, but keep oh, no, chipping away at those. No. Yeah, I know. Keep, but you know how it is. It's like, well, you don't want to give all your attention. It's just a balance of looking at the school-wide, you know, needs. And it's like when you have more than one child and trying to balance the time that you have to give to individuals. Well, students. before you go, let me ask Nina this question because she and I both shared this kid. Nina, I'm thinking I know mm-hmm. the answer to this. This kid who way back when needed to be stabilized, safe, mm-hmm. safe to assume that before he was stabilized, he was taking up a heck of a lot of time. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah, absolutely. And, you know, and I do, that and by I... the time he left your school, he wasn't taking up anywhere nearly that amount of time? Absolutely. Yep. And I do, and I feel that, you know, I hear that sometimes of like, well, this one child's taking a lot of time, but I always think, you know, that's the child who needs me the most now. And then later they won't, and I'll be on to the next one who needs me more. And even though I know it's, it's hard because there's a lot, a lot to do. um, I do think, you know, just looking at the big span and throughout the years that it, you go where you're needed and then it it fades out. Okay. I have kids in my client pool who I have to see two times. My my usual is I'll see a kid once, um, then spread it out to every other week as quickly as possible. But early on in very volatile, very unstable, very reactive kids, my only goal is stabilization. And if that takes meeting two or three times a week, it takes meeting two or three times a week. Mm -hmm. Once the kid is stabilized, he's not going to take that much time. But it takes time to stabilize a kid, by the way, usually a heck of a lot less time than it takes us to deal with him when he's still unstable. Okay. We're so glad you called in. Any other things yeah. you want to ask us while we have you? I don't know. I wish that I was closer. You could just come here. <laughs> Wave the magic wand. But, no, I definitely feel encouraged and you know, just chipping away at it and keep you know, keep pressing on and and giving them a little more credit than maybe what I have been recently. I think um, ready to start tomorrow with uh, some new ideas. So thank you for all of it. You bet. Go thank back and you. jump back thank into the frying you. pan, and we're back on next month if you need help. Okay. Thank you. All right. Take care. Thank you. All right. Bye. Bye. Isn't that interesting stuff? Yeah, it's so interesting. I was kind These of wondering things... if, Tom, if Tom was with us today, if he would have jumped in with, and I and I don't want to paraphrase for Tom, but, you know, we've had him on the program for a number of years now, and, and I'm wondering what he would have had to say about safety, right? Because I know for him the question of safety trumps all, as it does for all of us, but he mm-hmm. would often be the play the devil, devil's advocate to himself being kind of of two minds that yes we can take expectations off the table and we can be working on plan b conversations but there's also you know a responsibility of of safety in the in the school and in the classroom that sometimes we have to have a plan a while we're working on plan b yeah, yeah you know, it's interesting because now what i'm okay. saying you know tom <laughs> that's you know, right yeah, and he's I, not here to defend himself Exactly. I, always, I don't want to put words in his mouth, but I know that that's, that's been often well, a perspective he, that he's raised. He now has legacy status on the program, so we can say anything <laughs> we want about him. And truth is, he may have tried to call in, but there's only room for five callers on the program, and oh, you are two of them, and I am one of them. Okay. So when we had five on the phone, 
he may have tried to call in, but uh, on the line, he may have tried to call in and couldn't get through. (laughs) So now we can say anything about him that we want. The most dangerous situations I've ever put myself in, honestly, are the the situations when I'm being in plan A. Or when a a teacher is in uh, plan A, you know, in a big power struggle with somebody who's, um, you know, challenging behavior might be throwing chairs and there's a power, that's those are the situations that I, you know, um, find myself in dangerous situations. So it's so interesting. You know, it's so interesting that yeah. um, really when you're in um, the, the model is when it's it's you're going to be at your safest because um, just plan A puts that usually for the kids that are really challenging, that just, you know, puts them at their worst. Yeah, from what that's I see. absolutely true. And lucky for me, I learned that very early in my career when I was a uh, lowly staff member on an inpatient psychiatry unit and um, was one of the people responsible for pinning kids to the ground if they got out of control. And uh, this was sort of the genesis of me recognizing that my body and the kid's body were a heck of a lot safer um, when there was a dialogue as opposed to when I was imposing my will and then everybody was paying the price for it. Absolutely. Um, so, you know, I understand what Tom is talking about when he's talking about safety. But i got to say, in 99.9% of the issues that I've seen involving safety, Plan A was in the mix and it was mm-hmm. unnecessary plan A. Mm-hmm. Shall we turn our attention to another email? Sure. Sure. Here we go. Um, oh, I like this one a lot. Uh, when using the ALSIP and going through the lagging skills, if there is a skill checked off, we move over to identify unsolved problems. What if something is mentioned that the student can do some of the times, but not all of the time? For example, walking down the hallway with hands to self. The student can do it half the time, but the other half the time, hands are all over others. Would this be considered an unsolved problem? Can I answer that very quickly? Yep, of course. Yes. The answer is yes. You're not looking for 100 percenters. You're looking for any expectation that the kid is having difficulty reliably meeting. So if this is a 50 percenter, if he's having difficulty meeting the hallway expectation 50% of the time, I promise it's an unsolved problem. Mm -hmm. Now, it could prompt us to take a closer look at these specific conditions, if there are any, that help us understand uh, the conditions in which the kid is able to meet the expectation and the conditions in which the kid is unable to meet the expectation. But the best source of information on that is still going to be the kid. And so, yes, the quick answer is that is definitely an unsolved problem. What I always say to people is if there's an expectation the kid is having difficulty meeting 5% of the time, and it's a really important expectation, or it's causing really challenging behavior. 95% of the time he can meet it, 5% of the time he can't, but it's a really important expectation, and the 5% of the time that he's having difficulty meeting it, he loses control completely. That's a 5%er. That's an unsolved problem. 
Anything that you both would like to add to that? Nope. No, I totally agree. <laughs> Let me see if we have one more that we can answer here. We're running a little short on time here. Uh, All right. We are a group of three self-contained teachers of emotionally impaired students and two social workers who service those students. We love books on collaborative and proactive solutions, believe in the philosophy, and are currently doing a book study on lost and found. Uh, We use your strategies with most of our students. However, we all have a student or two who has a brain injury or irrational thinking, we find that they have difficulty with meaningful engagement in conversations. We do focus on the expectations that are placed on them and the lagging skills, but wonder if you ever encounter students who are not able to participate in solving problems collaboratively. We realize this would be a very few number of students, but would love your thoughts and ideas about it. Any advice or suggestions would be very welcome. Much thanks. Let's have you go first because I've been talking too much today. Oh, well, that's a really good question. I think, you know, we've we've addressed before working with children with limited linguistic ability, um, but if we're talking about limited comprehension or, you know, brain injury, my thought would be I th- it's always worth the effort. Um, I think... I definitely want to keep things as simple as possible and use visual supports to help that comprehension take place. Um, I don't have any experience with that, though, so I'm just, you know, what a thing. I also think it kind of ties back to what we were talking about before, that it might be um, looking at the expectations and it might be more trying to stabilize and give that a little, give that more of a chance before um, problem solving and, you know, and, and really trying to make that progress. And just like you said as well, that simplifying and and whatever you can do to try to understand the child's perspective and try to understand um, where they're coming from so that you can find solutions. I, I do think um, it works in building relationships and having empathy. All those All those parts work for all students. I agree with all of that. I do think that there are kids who are harder to do plan B with for one reason or another, and the ones that a lot of people tend to focus on are the ones who have language processing and communication delays. And we talk a, we've talked quite a bit about them, not only in the books, but also um, on the radio program. So there's some great radio programs um, in the library that talk almost exclusively about kids who don't have the language processing and communication skills to participate in the linguistic give and take of plan B. And for them, we have to find another way to communicate. Sometimes that's pictures, sometimes that's fingers, sometimes that's sign language, but we always try to find a way and there's always a way. Sometimes it's those expensive assistive technologies, but um, we certainly, uh, make sure that language processing and communication skills are not an impediment to a kid participating in solving the problems that affect their lives. But the other ones that she mentioned are the ones that are uh, now brain injured um, doesn't really tell me anything about the kid. I've worked with a meaningful number of brain injured kids. They were all very different and very different in their ability to participate 
in plan B. So the fact that a kid has a brain injury doesn't tell me anything about what the kid's skills are and doesn't tell me anything about the kid's capacity to participate in plan B. But the other thing that um, the emailer mentioned is irrational thinking. And there are kids who are disorganized in their thinking. Those kids often, I was listening to a recording of this this morning, of a kid who was just rather loose, as we call it in the profession, um, was all over the place. And the main task for the person doing Plan B where there was to keep the kid uh, coming back to what we were talking about and keep the kid oriented toward um, what his or her concerns were in the empathy step and what we were trying to, what concerns we were trying to address with a solution. Um, there are kids who have trouble following along, and we can lay out for them a structure for what the three steps are and what it's supposed to look like. Depends on the severity of the irrational thinking. Um, there are kids who aren't, who are interpreting what you're saying in a way that wasn't intended. For those kids, we need to make sure we are speaking very carefully and watching very closely to make sure that what we've said has been understood. Um, I've, but I've done a meaningful number of Plan Bs with kids who were interpreting my intentions inaccurately, were not necessarily understanding the process very well, were not understanding what people were saying or what people were up to, we're having trouble following along and staying on topic. But those are things we can do something about. So um, are there kids who can't participate? To tell you the truth, I find that the biggest impediment is language processing. And fortunately, there are lots of things that any good speech and language pathologist would do to help us engage kids who are nonverbal in communicating with us now we're just asking them to communicate with us on three steps. What are their concerns? Understanding our concerns and participating in the process of coming up with solutions. For some kids, helping them engage in that process is going to take a very long time. It doesn't happen overnight. Helping them engage in that process often means us having to find a way for them to communicate before they can participate in that process. But if we don't do all of that, then what we're basically saying is that this kid will always be incapable of participating in the process of solving the problems that affect his or her life. And we never want to say that. Any more thoughts from both of you now that I've said my little piece? I think so. No. Well, then you know what we're going to do? We're going to call it a day because we do not have enough time to answer another question. There's only two minutes left here. Um, thank you both, as always. I, I love doing this program. Um, I love listening to what you both have to say. You both know this model and kids so well that it is a blast to do this with you. Um, and I'm glad that we've gotten off to a good start here in year 2017. It's going to be the year we make it all better. Yes, there absolutely. you go. <laughs> or at least, at least move the ball forward. Take Thank care, both so of you. Much. Thank Bye. you. Bye. Bye.